You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. The summer of 2001 was a huge time for Broadway. The Lion King was still going strong at the box office. Viola Davis began her EGOT journey with her first Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Play, and 42nd Street had made a big comeback to Broadway with all those dancing feet. But the hottest ticket in town was the producers, having swept the Tony Awards with 12 wins, including Best Musical. When we think of Broadway, Broadway is more than shows going on. It is really the number one tourist attraction in New York City. This is Karen Noasad, an English professor and founder of Broadway Neighborhood Tours. So the summer of 2001 looked very promising, even better than the year before had been. The Marquee Theater was having its own success with the revival of Annie Get Your Gun. It opened in 1999 with Bernadette Peters and Tom Wopat and became just the second show in marquee history to surpass 1,000 performances. Once Peters left the show, there was a string of Broadway debuts by famous TV actresses like Susan Lucci, Cheryl Ladd, and Crystal Bernard. But none made a bigger splash than country star Reba McIntyre, who breathed new life into the show and its box office but it would be Bernard in the title role with Tom Wopat coming back as Frank Butler to close the show on September 1st, 2001. It was leaving the marquee to make way for a new musical based on the 1967 movie, Thoroughly Modern Millie. But 10 days after Annie Get Your Gun closed, all of Broadway closed, New York City shut down, and an entire nation was brought to its knees in anguish, heartache, and disbelief. Everything stopped. Then we shut the league down and everybody went home. I guess Giuliani was uh, sending most people were told to go home. The subways were shut down. The buses were stuffed with people. You couldn't really get on a bus. Well, we were all so traumatized by it. You were just kind of shocked and walking around and so inundated. I, I don't know how you could not be, but we were inundated with the pictures of it because it was running on the news constantly. The horrible devastation of 9-11 may have been 22 years ago, but its effects are still with us today. Every time we get on a plane or visit that somber memorial in lower Manhattan. I mean, closing one show is pretty common, but having the entire New York theater scene go dark is a rare event. Though the scope and circumstance of 9-11 is different from our recent adversity with the COVID pandemic, Both events have certainly affected and changed Broadway in profound ways. So far this season, Closing Night has been focused on individual shows at the Marquee Theatre, how and why they closed. But in this special episode, we'll look at the whole Broadway community, the shows and actors and industry leaders, how they were affected by 9-11, and what it took to bring theatre back to New York City. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. September is a month of transition for both New York City as well as Broadway. The weather begins to change, kids are going back to school, and actors come together on an outdoor stage in Times Square to strut their stuff for Broadway on Broadway, which is one of the biggest annual events to kick off the fall theater season. On that September 9th, Chicago, 42nd Street, Rocky Horror Show, Les Mis, and Phantom were there as well as the cast of Town, which was set to open four days later. And even though they hadn't started rehearsals yet, Mamma Mia was there showing off their dancing queens. This is our coming out party. We are the, we are the Dynamos. Donna and her Dynamos. So. The debut of the, the Dynamo. debut of the Dynamo the in New Dynamo. York. <laughs> Revivals of Assassins, Dreamgirls, and Noises Off were also preparing to open in the coming weeks. Adina Menzel was about to join the cast of Aida, and Mandy Patinkin gave a one-night-only Broadway concert on September 10th to promote his new CD. And according to Theater Mania, this particular concert is best remembered for its poignant and, in hindsight, fateful encore medley. After receiving a thunderous standing ovation, Patinkin returned to the stage and placed two small flags, one Israeli and one Palestinian, on a stool. Standing behind those two powerful symbols, he sang Haktikva, the Israeli national anthem. Suddenly, halfway through the song, he knocked both flags to their sides as the warm white light changed in that same instant to a fiery red. The volume of Potemkin's voice jumped like a gunshot as he cut the air with You've Got to Be Taught, Rogers and Hammerstein's eloquent indictment of bigotry and hatred from South Pacific. Then, the lighting and performance suddenly became gentle again as Potemkin righted the flags and summed up with Stephen Sondheim's warning for the future, Children Will Listen from Into the Woods. The following day was just another Tuesday for New York actors, like Brad Oscar and Nancy Opel. That morning, actually, you know, I'm never up before at least 10 or 11 when I'm working. So, but ironically, that morning, I was going to be heading out to Queens for an audition for some TV show. We um, had done a preview the night before September 11th at Urinetown. And that morning was a bright and early morning for me because uh, my daughter had just started middle school. For me, I was actually halfway around the world performing in Japan 
as part of the opening cast of a review show called Broadway Encores at the newly opened Tokyo Disney Sea theme park. Being 13 hours ahead of New York, it had already been a full day for us because of a tsunami that had shut down much of Tokyo and kept most of us actors from being able to even get to the park. So by that night, American cast members from the various Disney Sea shows were all gathering around to tell our stories from the day when someone came in and turned on the TV to CNN. This, Justin, you are looking at obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. The CNN Center right now is just beginning to work on this story, obviously calling our sources and trying to figure out exactly what happened, but clearly something relatively devastating happening this morning there on the south end of the island of Manhattan. 20 minutes later, we were all still watching the news coverage when the second plane crashed into the South Tower on live television. It's a moment I'll never forget. Back in New York, just two hours after that second plane hit, it was decided that Broadway shows would go dark that night. In fact, all theater was shut down in the city. And as the dust and debris settled throughout that day and into the next, New York City was plunged into sorrow and mourning, grappling with the enormity of the tragedy. In the aftermath, the city's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, turned to history for guidance. He had been reading a biography of Winston Churchill and drew inspiration from his resolve during the Battle of Britain as their forces defiantly stood up against German air raids. In 1940, it was decided that the British would carry on with their cultural pursuits. The arts are essential to any complete national life. The state owes it to itself to sustain and encourage them. Ill fares the race which fails to salute the arts with the reverence and delight which are their due. In his speech to the Royal Academy of Arts, Churchill succinctly highlights how integral the arts are to society as a whole. So just as London theater was an important part of life for the British people during World War II, so too was Broadway an essential ingredient of New York City, returning to some sort of normalcy. But against this backdrop of grief and determination, Broadway and city officials faced a critical decision. How could shows go on, and when to reopen them? The League of American Theaters and Producers, which is now simply called the Broadway League, rallied behind the mayor and urged the industry to reopen. But their executive director, Jed Bernstein, recognized there was still some big challenges ahead. We certainly had um, uh, people who knew how important it was to get business going again, because who knew would tourists ever come back to New York ever again? I mean, what was going to happen in the world? Would shows would there be shows that could not reopen? And that's certainly something we tried to translate to the actors and the crews, the companies of all the shows, because some of those folks had misgivings uh, when the decision was taken to try to open the next night, that Thursday night, the 13th, which is in fact uh, when we opened. A big part of those misgivings had to do with the fact that Broadway's physical landscape had been altered by the attacks. 
Bridges and tunnels were closed, and security was tightened all around Manhattan. The sheer logistics of getting actors and crew members to the theaters posed a significant hurdle, especially to those who lived outside Manhattan. So they said, how are we going to get the people in to do these shows? So a plan was hatched. Giuliani came up and said, if they can show their union card and where they work, they will have ability to get through the police blockade. So that's how they made the plan. But the big focus, believe it or not, was on New Jersey, because that's where a lot of these people lived. So a lot had to be done to kind of bridge the gap so that people could come through. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. But before they could open, these productions took a hard look at the content of their shows and considered any changes that might be needed in light of what had just happened. The producers, for example, had bombs going off during springtime for Hitler. Those were taken out for a time until the trauma of 9-11 subsided. When Urinetown postponed their opening and made revisions, those changes remained in the show throughout its Broadway run. Roundabout Theater, on the other hand, took an even bigger step with Assassins and canceled the entire production due to some of the disturbing and provocative content in the show like a monologue from Samuel Bick in which he says, I'm going to change things, Lenny. I'm going to drop a 747 on the White House and incinerate Dick Nixon. It's going to make the news. So on September 13th, Stephen Sondheim and book writer John Weidman released a statement. Assassins is a show which asks audiences to think critically about various aspects of the American experience in light of Tuesday's murderous assault on our nation and on the most fundamental things in which we all believe. We, The Roundabout, and director Joe Mantello, believe this is not an appropriate time to present a show which makes such a demand. A very different kind of show, Mamma Mia, was just starting rehearsals. But as Karen Mason recalls, it was a slow and difficult process back to singing and dancing again. We get there, and there was, what they did at that point was had a, a circle of people um, so that we could all tell our experiences and talk about it if we need to. And they continued that for a few days, which I thought was very healing. It gave everybody a chance to bond with each other about this horrific experience that we were all going through. For other shows, September 13th marked a return to the Broadway stage where marquees once again illuminated the theater district. As each curtain rose, a collective spirit of resilience, yet trepidation, was palpable among cast and crew, with some shows more full than others. I, I can't even describe it. It was, it, was, it was unusual and sad and, and sort of strange to be going back to work. Um, 
our, our director, John Rando, uh, gave a speech, a curtain speech before um, the show, which was very moving. We had about a half a house, I would say. Many shows were giving curtain speeches before and or after performances, which were just a reflection of the raw emotions of a city in recovery. And when it came time for the bows in shows like The Music Man, instead of reprising another song from the show, the cast and audiences joined together to sing My Country, Tis of Thee. Other musicals like The Lion King, Proof, 42nd Street, and The Producers ended their performances with God Bless America. This idea had come from seeing members of the U.S. Congress on the night of 9-11 standing on the steps of the Capitol singing that song. And, of course, since the song was written by a Broadway composer, Irving Berlin, it seemed fitting and appropriate for cast members like Brad Oscar to join hands and hearts with the audience in a chorus of unity, singing an anthem of defiance and determination. It was just as overwhelming emotionally as, as you would think it would be, and yet, again, never had I Never had I sung that song with such conviction and such understanding of, of, of what it meant or what it meant to me. There were glimmers of hope amongst a vast sense of dread and fear. As much as theaters and the nation as a whole were trying to return to normalcy, for many people that had simply lost its meaning. What was normal? How or why can we even go back to it or find some new version of it? This sentiment ached inside much of the country, including actors like Derek Smith from The Lion King. We came back Thursday, which I thought was a little bit soon. Uh, I think mainly because I, I and everyone else was afraid to be in any kind of congregation of, of people. You know, we didn't know. I mean, at that point, people really wondered, what's next? I was scared to go to my car. I thought, when I, I thought it would explode. So, Broadway's reopening was a mix of hope and hesitancy, met with countless challenges, the biggest of which was finding an audience. Ticket sales had all but ceased in mid-September, and without enough pre-sold seats to guarantee at least break-even business, shows couldn't survive. Five Broadway shows, including Kiss Me Kate and The Rocky Horror Show, had to close in part due to the financial fallout from the attacks. But really every show in New York was affected by low turnout, even the popular shows. The Lion King lost about two-thirds of its box office the week of 9-11, and the producers fell by about half. That's because there were no tourists coming to New York. So audiences were mostly made up of locals who could physically and emotionally make it to the theater. There were special efforts made to provide tickets to airline workers and personnel who were now grounded with nowhere to go. A pivotal moment came when a large group of Broadway actors led by Annie Get Your Guns Bernadette Peters and the producers Nathan Lane, they all donated their time and talents by gathering in Times Square to perform Kander and Ebb's classic anthem, New York, New York. These little town blues are melting away. We'll make a brand new start of it in old New York. 
This powerful display of unity was captured on camera and broadcast across the nation, inspiring a renewed sense of assurance. And as the weeks passed, audiences began coming back to Broadway. Come to New York and let's go on with the show. Through it all, the lights of Broadway continue to survive as a beacon of hope and resilience for a nation in recovery. Because as Broadway continued to make its comeback with lighthearted shows like Mamma Mia, then so did the heart of audiences come back as well. It showed theater to be an important part of the city's renewal and the country's. The idea that we were going to go out there and try to share this, you know, two and a half hours of silliness of just kind of crazy with an audience who'd been so traumatized. We just weren't sure. That first night, people were screaming so loudly, I thought my hair was going to fly off my head. It was that energy of, I, I don't know what to do with my feelings. It just gave them permission to be, to release it, to get loud and scream and laugh and get up on their feet and dance. And I, I'd never seen that before. And I think that's when I truly realized the power of, of the theater and of music and of, uh, of art is that it allows people to release their feelings through other people. And so, as we reflect on this tragic chapter in our nation's history and theater history, let us remember the courage and determination that helped bring Broadway and this country back to life after the darkest of days. The lights may have dimmed for a moment, but they were never extinguished. A big thank you goes to Playbill, the Guides Association of New York City, and the American September Project to make this episode possible. Closing Night is a production of Win Me Media with yours truly, Patrick Oliver-Jones, as host and executive producer of the show. Dan Delgado is editor and producer, and co-producer is Maria Clara Ribeiro. For a transcript and full list of the numerous resources used to create this episode, look for a link to that in the show notes. Be sure to join me next time as another single production makes its way to closing night. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.